Hi, I'm your host, Aaron, and welcome to the First Generations Podcast, the show where we dive into the personal experience and knowledge of individuals that paved their path to success on their own terms. From entrepreneurs, professionals, and beyond, we will learn what it takes to walk through their journey and what it means to be first generation. Coming up in this episode. Unless somebody has literally done what you want to do, they don't have the level of education, maturity, and experience to actually speak truth. They're speaking opinion. We don't want opinions. Opinions, opinions are free all over the internet every single damn day. You don't need any more opinions and advice from people who haven't done this shit. Go to somebody who's actually done it, who can speak with conviction, who understands the actual problems that they're going to encounter. And just so you know, 80% of all your problems or greater in business is going to be here. It's in your headspace. It's all the bullshit stories you tell yourself. It's the bad um, software that you downloaded into your head from all the different people you had in your life, your teachers and you know your friends and family and stuff like that. And you're just not hanging around with people that have done it. That's the simple point. So for me, it's proximity. What's up, guys? And welcome to another episode of the First Generations Podcast. Today's guest was born in Romania in 1985. And at the time, that country was under communist rule. His family escaped before the Romanian Revolution and landed in an Austrian refugee camp in 1990. After immigrating to Canada and eventually uniting with his siblings, our guest had developed a passion for life and a gratitude mindset. His parents sacrificed for a better life and developed a deep sense of responsibility within him early on in his life. He dreamt of building an empire of motivating, entertaining, and investing in other people. He is the oldest of nine children, is always challenging the status quo, pushing boundaries and asking, what is next? 20 years later, he has developed the largest private mortgage company in southwestern Ontario with a mission to serve young families and make home ownership possible. Exiting the rat race was just the beginning for him. Now, I am proud and honored to present you our guest for today, Ben Morrison, also known as the humble CEO. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? My man, good to be here. Aaron, good to be here, buddy. Let's help some people. Yeah, man. I want to thank you for coming on. And I think this is super exciting because I believe you are our, you are my, probably one of my first guests yeah, one of the very few Canadian guests that I have on this show that's also very entrepreneurial based. To get things started, I also want to ask you, during our current times, what is one thing, what are some things you're most grateful for at this moment? Man, I'm really grateful for my freedom. I'm grateful for the ability to travel, to live life on my own terms. I'm grateful to go right when everybody else goes left. You know, Warren Buffett said a long time ago that when the market goes one way, you should go the other way. And it's so instrumental to me to watch the market go through crazy volatility and cycles and be able to just make moves, irregardless of the pressures of what other people are doing. So I'm thankful for life. I'm thankful for travel. I'm thankful for my faith. Dude, I'm, I'm just in abundance overload mode over here and not in some cheesy way. In just some honest, honest way where a lot of people, I think, are mentally struggling with things in this world. And I'm just thankful every day that I've been able to go through the grit and over the course of 15 years developed just a massive internal gratitude for life. So it doesn't matter what happens around me, bro. I'm just grateful regardless. And that's just the attitude I choose every day. Oh, I love it, man. I love it. And you have, I, I believe you have quite an interesting story, even with your family as well. Obviously, we've mentioned a little bit that in the intro. Just overall, in that, like prior to our recording, me hitting the record button, you mentioned you were in Arizona. And obviously, like you said, you're living the life. And I just want to check in. How has COVID impacted your life? Because you mentioned you're making you're going right when people are going left. So 
to me, that sounds like you've been max. This has you've been maximizing this as an opportunity instead of looking at it from a negative lens. Yeah, I'll give you my take on COVID. I think COVID has been a predestined gift if you look at it that way. Yeah, nobody's going to look at it that way. Not very many people want to take that lens, but I will take that lens. See, I believe in the year 2000, when Y2K was happening, we had a prediction. And the prediction was at some point, technology and digital age is going to have a massive impact on what we do. Fortunately for us in Y2K, it didn't actually materialize. And I remember being in church waiting for the lights to go off, and they didn't. So people just kind of wiped their brow and they said, whew, I guess we're good. And you're not good. You had 20 years to get ready for the technology advancement. 20 years. 20 years later, 2020 happens, COVID hits you. And if you're a Canadian, you realize very quickly how behind Canada is in terms of real estate, in terms of the process, in terms of closing, in terms of digital, in terms of access to information, all this stuff, where in many areas, especially in real estate, Canada has monopolies like the realtor monopoly. So what happened was as soon as it went digital, as soon as it went from working from home, the people who prepared started to win. The people who didn't prepare realized very quickly that the industrial age revolution is over and we now live in the information age. So everything that I was doing got better. My businesses moved firmly online. We removed anything that you know required physical offices and whatever. We still have empty buildings in Canada. But not only did we move our staff online, we moved our opportunities online. We started doing online training, online deals. A lot of the processes that were very archaic to us and to me started to shift. For example, our lawyers started to do virtual and online closings. The process for moving money became a lot easier to move wires online virtually. So I think for us, it was amazing. For me personally, it completely removed me from this idea that you have to be stuck somewhere. I was already kind of living abroad virtually, living in Canada, outside of Canada. I just moved for the last five years where I want to be. And it doesn't matter where I live. It just matters where I am. But it allowed everybody else on my team to get on the same page. So it was a predetermined gift. I knew it was coming. I didn't know when. And when everybody was negative about the COVID symptoms, everybody only looks at the immediate symptoms and nobody looks at the opportunity. And I said, there's the opportunity. That's a Warren Buffett moment right there. Everybody's going left. I better go right. Everybody's hiding in their basement. I better pick up and run. Everybody's afraid to do deals. I'm going to do more deals. Everybody's living in some scarcity. I'm going to create abundance. That's what I did. And dude, it's been amazing the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. So it's a weird take. It is obviously I don't care for the face masks and the politics and none of that stuff because none of that shit matters to me. What matters is individual freedom and choice. And we still have our agency. We still have individual freedom and choice, whether you think you do or you don't. You do. The question is, what did you do during COVID when everybody else was distracted? Did you win? Did you find opportunities or did you complain? So I just, I focused on winning, bro. Focused on winning. I doubled down on the people that doubled down on me. I doubled down on the products that I sell. I doubled down on me and my personal development. And I just went harder, not software. So I think it made it actually easier for me because a lot of people just moved out of my way. Competitors closed down. The game got more difficult in some ways. It got much easier in other ways. I'm talking real estate game. I'm talking education. I'm talking social media. I'm talking a lot of things that we're involved in. So it became a really interesting environment. And I love volatility. Every business person who really understands risk wants volatility because the volatility widens the spread 
widens the price point by which you can buy and sell products and services at. And I don't want good times. I want fucking war. That's what I want. Because when I'm in the middle of business war, good shit happens. People win. Profits get made. You get to impact and do a lot of things. So too many people are seeking the soft culture. Give, a, give me the hard culture. Let half the people or better run away. And then the people who are really convicted to do this business or a business will stick through it. The people who are never convicted to begin with will make excuses. So it separates the men from the boys. I know that sounds very barbaric, very macho, very whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just the truth. You either yeah. stuck with it through conviction, did something, or you didn't. And if you didn't, you weren't going to last anyways. 100%. I'm glad you mentioned that because... I also believe in taking action. And like you said, you have a choice no matter what scenario you're in. You can either choose to move forward or choose to stay stagnant where you are. So I wanted to dive into deep, deep into your early life. So our audience would know, get a little sense of what you've had to go through and who you are. So I, I want to talk about like more so the early life growing up in Canada, the story of your parents' sacrifice for you and your siblings. And we can go on from there. Hearing about the story of your family escaping Romania when it was under the communist rule and before the revolution, I believe it is truly eye-opening for myself how amazing I have it in Canada and how much or how many of our parents would have had to sacrifice to start fresh in a country like this. Can you share with our audience of you or your parents' perspective during that time when essentially you guys had moved from Romania, went to the Austrian camp, and then came over to Canada. Because if I remember listening correctly to a, a video clip of your father, Bill, he shared his perspective on it, and I was just totally blown away. So let me say this. You know, my story is not different from any other immigrant. I'm not necessarily more special than any other person in this world. My whole thing, the reason I go by humble is to help people understand that it doesn't matter where you start. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. What matters is what mindset do you adopt along the way because that mindset will dictate where you end up. And I adopt a learner's mindset, you know, a student's mindset. I always want to humble myself to the opportunities and the people around me. And yet I have an aggressive side. I have a compassionate side. I have all the different things that a passionate person would have. So some people look and they want to put you in a box. And here's what I believe. I believe that coming from communism, so my mom and dad escaped communism. We ran on foot across the border because my dad said, I want my freedoms. Simple as that. Don't tell me what to do, what to think, and what to believe. I want my freedoms. So I know it's very relevant today, the freedom convoy. I have utter respect for people who stand up for their freedoms. I have no respect for people who try to rob others of their God-given freedoms. So I have what I call accelerated learning. So I have a massive advantage over most people. And that's I've gone through a level of adversity that's given me an opportunity for accelerated learning. So from a young age, I've realized through my own experience that I get to choose. I get to choose how I live and where I live, and nobody gets to tell me otherwise. And if a government, if a social group of people, if, if anybody imposes their will and their negativity and their beliefs on me, I'm just going to move or fight. You have two choices, move or fight. What I won't do and what my father didn't do was sit there and complain. Nobody wins through complaining. Life is about action. So my advantage in life is I saw my father at the age of 27 grab children that he had and run for the border with my mother and run in the middle of the night, hide from guards, hide from the patrols that were happening, hide from the border crossing, you know, guards and stations. And they would literally duck through 
the border. They would hide all day. They would cross over at night. A car would pick them up, drive them to the next border, do it all over again. And we had to get to three countries away so that we'd make sure nobody would send us back. And it was a very dangerous thing. As you can imagine, put yourself on any Canadian border and try to escape to the U.S. Put yourself on any Mexican border and try to escape to the U.S. Put yourself on a border where you have to physically run across this border and, and make it to the other side. But imagine it's not U.S. Imagine you have to go from Mexico to Canada. You've got to cross one entire country, not be discovered, and get to another one across another border. And that's the story. And it took three or four days to do that. So in doing that and being in a refugee camp and seeing what other kids had and what other kids didn't have, saw that my dad would, my dad didn't know the language. He just showed up and said, I, I'm here for freedom. I'm here to learn. I'm here to work. He then again immigrated to Canada, had three more children. So like being the oldest of nine kids, you know, with brothers and sisters born on three different, in three different countries, you start to realize that life is yours to choose. So like when all this COVID stuff happens, I go, the fuck am I going to complain about, man? Go or fight. Go to Ottawa, fight or leave. That's it. There's no hiding in the basement. There's no crying about stuff. There's no complaining that you don't get yours. Go or fight. That's it. You have two choices. And I think people have a hard time making choices. But my advantage in life is through my experience, I developed conviction. Conviction to me is when your thoughts and your words match your actions. I believe a thing, I do a thing. I believe a thing, I say a thing. And I say things with such deep conviction that people go, man, this guy really believes what he says. And that's an advantage to me. So I just think early on in life, man, I was gifted with these opportunities to have, uh, to have some level of adversity. And I believe adversity is twofold. You either use it as a weapon of destruction against the world and use it to go win, or use it as a weapon of guilt and shame that you put on yourself and you just you destroy yourself in the process. So can I say that I had a silver spoon? No, I had a wooden spoon and it was cracked on my ass a few times as a kid. And that to me is a gift. And I'm thankful for that. And that's the attitude I've carried my whole life. Even as a teenager, when I rebel and all this stuff, like most teenagers do, I still remember these lessons. So like Russell Peters says, uh, you know, the Toronto comedian, he says, beat your kids, beat your kids, man. Give them some adversity. We as people need more adversity. You know, I think there's a split consensus on this whole like freedom march thing. And I'm like, you know what? You need a freedom march every once in a while. You need to wake up. You need to grow up. You need to mature in your thinking. You need conviction. Where people die is in the in-between. The constant back and forth, mental suicide, garbage spitting out of your brain, into your mouth, low conviction, low energy, low action environments. You just complain. So that's my thing, dude. I'm a high intention person. Most people can't hang out with me because frankly, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it hundred percent. I don't do anything with low conviction. I don't do anything with low passion. So as a result at 37, I travel the world. I do fun things. I build amazing companies. I serve and impact people at a high level. I make a shit ton of revenue and I do all of it. I don't have to choose between wealth and servanthood. I can do everything. I can help people make money have my faith, and just, just live my life. And I think that there's such an interesting and amazing existence when you know that you are in control of your own decisions. And that's just where I live every single day. Thank you for sharing that. And for our listeners too, and Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, if our listeners are, they want to dive deeper into your story, you, you have a book called From Communism to Capitalism, correct? 
And I for did. listeners, I'll be posting that in the episode descriptions below. So be sure to check those out to hear Ben's full story. And when you mentioned coming to Canada, do you have like a very the most memorable culture shock moment in Canada at the time? Like that still lingers around in your head. Well, I mean, the, uh, everything is a culture shock, man, because I had culture shock two times. I had culture shock going to an Austrian refugee camp and learning yeah. German. And these little German kids, you know, they would they would tease us and stuff because we we weren't we weren't German. We didn't speak the language. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Austrian kids. And that was a culture shock to live in a refugee camp with a whole bunch of other refugees. And that had, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying I can I can clearly identify specific things that held me back or not. But it was the same experience. So I just got used to culture shock, bro. I got culture yeah. shock when I came to Canada. I got culture shock as I'm traveling the U.S. I got culture shock. You know, as a kid, it leaves impressions on you. I think that's the reality of it. And you, you start to look around and go, all right, well, what's the reality of life you get to choose? Other kids in Canada, you know, they all had bikes when I was a young kid. Yeah. And, you know, my dad bought us bikes, but they were like secondhand bikes. The seat was taller than whatever happened. And, uh, you know, I remember other kids having bikes and cool jackets and stuff like that. And all that stuff was really important to me. But I realized that we didn't have any of that stuff prior to not to the same degree of consumerism. So consumerism was kind of a shock how much stuff people had. And it became interesting for me to kind of study. But I've been really appreciative of the cultural, again, advantage, because I've got to experience new cultures and understand how different people live and work. And as a result, I get to formulate what I want for my own life. It's been super interesting. That's why I relate a lot with immigrants. If any background, any country, I relate a lot with immigrants because they get me and I get them. Yeah. Prior to real estate then, did you aspire or like during your childhood, did you have anything specific that you wanted to pursue while growing up when it came to, you know, a profession? Yeah, I, I think what's typical in these kind of interviews is like, I see a lot of people go, I always wanted to be in business and I wanted to be in real estate and I want to do all this stuff. And I kept my head down and whatever. And if you're in the audience listening, I need you to know something. I didn't. I didn't have any interest in real estate. I don't have any interest in like, like it just not wasn't important to me. What was important to me was music. I was a musician as a kid trying to play music in church and bands and groups throughout high school. I took all of the applied classes instead of academic classes because I didn't want to learn math or science or any of that stuff. Stuff. So I'm not your, you know, we'll call them a, a typical immigrant kid. My parents never really put massive pressure on me to go and be academic. They put pressure on me to do something important and have something that I cared about. And that was a huge distinction. So I chose music. It was my path. My parents would let me play music. They would buy me piano. They helped me go to university for music. So dude, I just wanted to do music. And for people listening, we glorify and we idolize money and real estate. None of that shit matters. The only reason I got into real estate was to run away from my first business, which is cleaning carpets. I started cleaning carpets because I realized I didn't want to be a broke musician. I didn't want to be some guy playing the bars. I didn't want to just go out there and play music for for dollars because it would rob me of my passion for music to do that. So I said, let me go do something I'm not passionate about. You can't get passionate about cleaning floors. I don't care. It doesn't matter. You do it for the money. I did it for the money. I did it for years. I started a little service and a little bit and a little bit. And then somebody told me, he said, hey, you can make more money in real estate. So I read a couple books and one of the rich dad books, it said, you can become a millionaire if you buy a million dollars worth of real estate and then let somebody else pay it off. I said, well, who does that? They said, these people are called tenants. And if you just get tenants in your property in 25 years, you can become a millionaire. And I thought, shit, that sounds way better than cleaning floors. 
So I was literally running away from carpet cleaning and I ran towards real estate. And as soon as I found that the vehicle made sense, as soon as I found that it was very practical, which is I'm a very practical guy, I just grabbed onto it and I just started doing deals. At 21, I did a deal. Six months later, I did a second deal. I was doing no money down deals at 21, 22 years old. I bought three properties, three duplexes by the time I got married at 23. And then it just started you know, snowballing from there. But most people like me on this call who are listening need to realize something. I didn't have this massive dream of being a real estate guy, even though I've done hundreds of deals in Canada and generated many, many, many millions of dollars. It was never my dream as a six-year-old boy to be a real estate mogul. It was my dream to live my life and do music and do things I'm passionate about. So I've looked at real estate very much from a binary, non-emotional standpoint from day one. Real estate is basic math. That's it. Real estate and properties are nothing more than inventory. I don't fall in love with real estate. I like it. I like winning. And like anything in life, the more you win at it, the more you appreciate it the more you can develop some kind of respect for it, but I don't love it. I don't care if it's real estate or soda cans. So that may like turn some people off, but I think far too many people turn real estate into an idol. And frankly, that's why they never conquer it because they chase it their entire life. They don't know how to master it because they're a slave to it. So let's talk about mastery then. Yeah. Or, or let's, let's even elaborate further upon that. There's often the talk with entrepreneurs and some of them believe that you're either born with this mastery of being an entrepreneur or you're not. And, some, and the other scope of things is some entrepreneurs believe that you don't need to be born with this scope or to have this mastery of being an entrepreneur, but you can also learn it as you go. So where along that spectrum do you see yourself aligning with? So for me, this is not a... I don't think you're born with it. I think out of necessity, you create options in life. It's as simple oh. as that. So if you, again, I come from adversity. So when you do that, you have to make distinctions in life. Hey man, I don't want to be broke. I don't want to live, you know, some part. I need to generate enough to create the kind of life that makes sense for me. It's as simple as that, right? So when you do that, then it's all decision driven as far as I'm considered, right? Decision yeah. to win, just like it's a decision to lose. So Somebody who says they're born with it, they idolize it. They make it unattainable for people. So I can't follow that logic. That makes no sense to me. You're either born a real estate entrepreneur or you're not. Zero sense. What makes sense to me is you make a choice to master something because it'll help you do something else. Live your life, travel, help your family, retire your mom, live in your passions, do whatever. And when you decide to master it, that's when it gets good. But until you decide to master it, like you won't do it. So- I want to pull the pressure valve on everybody who thinks you have to be born with this thing. No, you don't. You just have to choose to do it seriously. That's what my belief is. Thank you for sharing that. And I 100% agree with you. I'm a big believer that, you know, it's about, again, making that decision. So I kind of want to dive a little bit more into real estate. Let's say you mentioned you bought your first property when you were 21. I believe it was that corner lot duplex, right? So out of curiosity, like, why a duplex? Why not like a single family home or like uh, a condo? Because, you know, I, I feel like in Canada, my, even myself being in Canada, a lot of there's been a lot of talk where like, oh, you don't want to buy a condo or you don't really want to buy a duplex or like there's a lot of opinions everywhere. But I wanted to know what sparked you to buy your first corner lot duplex? That is probably one of the best questions I've ever got on a podcast. And I do a lot of them. So kudos to you because nobody asks this question, because if you ask it, you're going to uncover a whole different side of this game. Oh, that's actually a mentorship kind of question. 
why a single family, why a duplex, why the corner lot, why, 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 why? And here's the only answer I have, because it was directly in front of me. That's it. Oh. Stop choosing, man. Stop being prejudiced against one and the other. Here's what happens. People try to choose and then they do nothing. They're waiting for perfect. They're waiting for idealism. They do nothing. It went down like this. Somebody was in a, it was in a group, a business networking group, a $500 a year kind of group. And the guy says, I'm a mortgage broker. I said, cool. I want to buy real estate. How do I do that? He said, just come see me. And I said, cool. Uh, he says, I got a duplex. I don't actually want it anymore. It's a pain in my butt. But if you want it, I'll sell it to you. And I'll help you get the financing. Sold. That's it. I don't need to see it. I don't care what it looked like. It didn't matter what the condition was. I was going to figure it out regardless. So that's the answer that you need for your audience. If you're brand new, stop being picky. Your job is to get in. Don't worry about every little micro detail because you're putting way too much pressure on yourself in that case. Just get in. Get in, go buy 10, go buy 20, go buy hundreds of them. One of them isn't going to make a difference. There is no perfect property. This is not a marriage. This is not falling in love. But everybody goes to that route. What's the best deal? There's no best. There's just get one. Just get one. That's it. Only key difference between me and a lot of other people is when the real estate market rose, they had three or four of them that were the best. I had hundreds of imperfect ones. Oh, wow. So think about that volume, real estate inventory volume. Most of my mentorship is around business building in the field of real estate, not real estate investing, because it's a big lie. It's a big lie. Most people are call themselves investors. And if I ask you, so if I asked you, you're a landlord, right? You pick up rent? Yeah, I do pick up rent. Do you answer the phone? I definitely do answer the phone. All right. Do you do repairs from time to time? I'm investing time to do all these things. <laughs> all right. So it's actually not called investing. That's called no. a small business. Ah. And most people take the lens that I'm investing and this is where they fail. They use the wrong language, the wrong approach, the wrong ideology. They fall in love with the idea of investing and they glorify. You are a small business owner who runs an active operation. Anything that requires ops is small business. It is not investing. Investing is me buying cryptocurrency like I do, doing zero and getting a return. That's investing or equities or anything that's not operationally driven. The moment there's operations, that's my first thing I do with new investors is start switching the language on this because they're, they're using a false narrative. And that's why I could do hundreds while they did two or three or five or 10 is because they were trying to invest, but they're actually running an active small business under the wrong pretense. And as a result, they don't know how to grow and scale it because you can't grow and scale investing. You can grow and scale a business. So there's different elements. So people focus on the fundamentals of real estate investing. Yes. And I wish more people who talked about this would focus on the fundamentals of business in the field of real estate. Thank you for opening my eyes. <laughs> especially that relation, the relationship, like when you brought in crypto too, it's like thinking about it now too. I'm definitely guilty of bl being blinded by this. Cause I'm again, like I said earlier, like I thought, I think I'm investing my time into something, but then again, it's like, truly it's what do you, how do you define a passive investment? And I think, what you said with, let's say, with crypto or letting money work for you without you having to put in time, that's an amazing way to put it. And that's the harsh reality of it, isn't it? Yeah. So here's how I think about it. And this helps a lot of people is you have two options. You put in money or you put in time and energy, right? If you put in money alone, that's called investing. Yeah. As soon as you put money in time and energy, that's called small business. That's it. Oh, as simple wow. as that. If your time goes into it, it's a business. That's it. If it's revolving around the idea of making a return 
like I put my time into a lot of music. We call all that passion, right? Because yes. there's no immediate return. Okay. When you put your time into real estate, that's called the business. That's it. You're running an active operating business. That's why it does. That's why it will never scale is because we call it investing. So we use consumer behavior. So here's what we do. You buy one property, you go to TD bank, they give you a mortgage. Great. Then you go back, save 20% down, buy another one. Great. Then you go do one more. And this is like two years later when you finally saved another 20%. Great. And then your total debt service ratio, your TDSR is over 42%. The bank says you no longer qualify. You know why? TD Bank, Scotia, CIBC was not designed for you to leverage it and make a profit. It, mm-hmm. was, it was designed to sell you consumer debt. And we go to the consumer bank as consumers with our consumer brain, and we try to manipulate the consumer bank into giving us financing so that we can leverage and create profit. That's not how that works. We literally play the wrong game. So most education companies will help you buy three, four, five doors, max out your resources. Now you're screwed. Now what do you do? You wait another 10 years to save another 20%. Hopefully your job gives you a raise. That's not investing in. That's not business building. That's just some bullshit that's consuming. So more investors or more business owners than in real estate need to stop consuming mortgages, stop consuming real estate like it's a retail product and we have to start actually building a business. So we need inventory, aka properties. We need capital and funding, aka liquidity, right? We require sales and dispositions. We require marketing. We require finance. We require actual marketing. Marketing, sales, operations, finance, people, and culture. We need five systematic things if you want to grow a real business in this space. And that's the key difference. Most people will teach you how to max out your resources to buy three, four, or five. And then they're stuck and you're stuck. That's it. You're, just, you're, you're literally building the wrong box and you're building it under the wrong context. And that's why people don't do hundreds of deals. Because you have to ask the question, how did this kid do 300 and and this other guru did like 30. The hell's the difference? Well, this guy isn't building a real business. This guy is no different than a slave to any other small business, calls himself an investor. Maybe he wears a different suit and tie and different hat and stuff. But at the end of the day, he doesn't own a business. It owns him. Mm-hmm. No different than any other solo entrepreneur because that's what they are, small business owners. They're struggling small business owners. And if it wasn't for the fact of appreciation, most of these small business owners would go under. Yes. Take, take away appreciation and tell me if they could survive on the cash flow they generate. They can't because they're slowly generating cash flow two, three, four hundred dollars per month, right? And they're still working their nine to five job. And the only thing that saves them is the refi. The only thing that saves an investor and a real estate investor is the burr. They're pulling out the recapitalizing. So we live in a debt driven, equity driven industry where most people fake their way into business or real estate because the equity, the appreciation boosts them up. If you made money in the last 10 years, myself included, we all got very, very lucky. You're not smart. You just put money in at the right time because the market doubled in my city in the last five, six years. So we have to remove this concept that somehow everybody who bought a house and the market just rallied by itself, that somehow you're a genius in real estate. That's no more a genius than you having bought a stock and the company went IPO, public, whatever, and got purchased by somebody else and tripled in value. Yeah. You have to discern between, discern between a hot market and your, and your financial intelligence. That's my honest assessment, bro. This is why I joined Masterminds and I push myself and I stay a student because I need to understand what I don't know. Does that make sense? 
That definitely does. And you, you know what? This makes a lot of sense how you're explaining to me. Like for myself, I don't, I'm not really into real estate. I have gone to some conferences in the in the past, for example, Grant Cardone's 10X, like Grant Cardone's known for doing real estate, but in the US. And I have met a lot of individuals that, you know, they're saying the same things that align with how you're saying. And the thing is like, when you mentioned about the individual that's working a nine to five and, and, and they're trying to leverage against what they can based on how much they're making to the banks, like you said, they're saving 20% in their first year and then saving another 20% in the, in the third year to put on another another down property. That seems to be like the conventional how-to or know-how that really gets around, right? But then again, it's like everybody or most common people that don't really know the ins and outs like you do would think that way. And that's what we would rationalize or that's how we would paintbrush the real estate game as, right? And then when people look into like bigger moguls, let's say like yourself that have the scalability, it's like you ask the question, or people ask the question, okay, how did they, how did they get to that point? And then normally there's also that excuse or limiting belief that they got to that point because they had they were lucky or they had they had family help or they had this type of help. But in reality, kind of like you said, we I feel like we're just so uninformed. And when I say we, I, I, I even I myself included. So I definitely want to thank you for sharing that, Ben. And let's just say for many individuals out there, especially Canadians that want to get into the real estate market, but don't know where to start. I would assume like the first advice would be to basically grab your other book. Like you have another book called The Real Estate Secrets Exposed, right? And for our listeners, you can definitely find that in the description link below too. Check that out. But w- would you say that would be the first step into basically educating oneself or diving into the real estate community? That book is only useful if you want to do something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. First, yeah. The first step, brother, is Ask yourself, what are you actually trying to accomplish? You know, everybody will teach you how to get into real estate, into business, into crypto, into stocks, into stuff. And very few people teach you how to get out. I can teach you to become a slave to any hustle. It doesn't matter. We can pick any. Let's go start a lawn care business and we can become a slave to that. Like you becoming a slave isn't hard. Gary Vee talks about it all the time. Gary Vee gives you just enough information to go and sell baseball cards, trading cards, or go to garage sales. It never teaches you how to create a real business out of it. I don't, it's not even about Gary Vee. It's about every single other person out there who glorifies the hustle and the grind. It's not wrong. It's just not fulfilling. And it's not going to get you where you want to get. At the beginning, if your audience is newer, they're looking for income. Mm-hmm. When they get enough income, they're going to realize what they actually are looking for. It's called freedom. Yes. They don't actually need more income. They want just enough income to walk away from the present problems and obligations and job and whatever else. And when they're going to go, shit, I got all this income, but no time now. That's what happens with small business owners. There's a lot of people with enough income. They have zero time because they became a slave to their own hustle. So if you're trying to get into real estate, business, anything, crypto, doesn't matter. Before you educate yourself and you have to decide what you're trying to achieve because otherwise it's not education, brother. It's consumption. You're basically watching a TV show called Real Estate Investing on YouTube. That's what you're watching. You're watching a TV show called Crypto. You're watching a TV show until you say, I really want to do this because the vehicle seems viable to what I want to do. And my goal is to make five grand a month, 10,000 bucks. My goal is to quit my job. My goal is to have perpetual. You can't have this. People don't actually give me goals when I talk to them. They just share their ambition. What do you want? Financial freedom. (laughs) Fucking everybody (laughs) wants that. What do you want? To be happy. Yeah, you and everybody else, okay? What do you want? People have a hard time defining what they want because they haven't spent any time 
actually putting it down on paper. What they do is they just go, I want to be better. All right, great. You can't quantify being better. That's like saying, I want to be healthy. All right, well, how many pounds do you need to lose to be considered healthy? That's it. We just have to put the pounds on there. So grab my book if you want some clarity. Sure, grab my book if you want to understand real estate at a deep level. You can grab it off my website for free as a download, or you can go and you know grab it off Amazon, pay 20 bucks or whatever it costs today and have it delivered to your house. It's up to you. It's a great place to start because I am a purveyor and defender of truth. That's it. I'm not looking to BS people. I'm not looking to, 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 to move people in some direction. I just want everybody to be smart enough, to be resourceful enough to win for themselves. So my advice is, do you actually want to do this? Do you have enough pain in your life that, this, that you're going to stick with this when it gets hard? If you're the kind of person who gives up on everything, you, don't waste your time. Go do an MLM. Go do something else because every business makes money for the right person. Mm-hmm. And every business is also a scam for the wrong person. I respect that. I've <laughs> seen both sides. I've seen both sides, bro. Yeah. So to me, it sounds like if you are going to, to take action and do something, let's say if, you, if somebody does take action into the real estate industry, it's also good to have a network. There's that There's that saying that where they say your networks are net worth or show me your five friends by Jim Rohn and they'll, they'll say like, I, I can basically tell how your life is going to revolve. So when it comes to real estate investing, what are some professionals to know? I, in, in my opinion, I would think like it's good to have a lawyer, like a real estate, real estate lawyer, because that's a crucial part. It's probably good to have a a well-versed or well-experienced mortgage broker that knows his or her way around the rules. I would also assume that if, let's say, if one is into the whole business of flipping, you'd probably want to know a good contractor. But uh, do you have like a golden rule in your mind that that you set out in terms of what one person should at least know when it comes to like a professional? Sure. I'm going to give you the resource. So I built a whole community in Canada called Cashflow Tribe, cashflowtribe.com. You can go and join the community for free. You can meet other investors. You can participate in there's thousands of Canadians and that can be cashflowtribe.com or on Facebook. That's where I would start. Not because it's mine, but here's why. A mortgage broker, a realtor, a lawyer, those are all salespeople. Yes. They just sell you their own product. They're also not designed to help you make money. It's no different than going to a bank, bro. The person I would connect with is the person doing exactly what I'm doing or want to do right now. So if you're a brand new investor... Go find another brand new investor who's literally doing the thing you want to do. Your power team, as they call it, doesn't help you until you even understand how a power team works. Is I got my lawyer, I got my attorney, I got my this. Your lawyer, your attorney, your broker, your mortgage agent, let's say they have eight years of experience in the business. We'll call them an eight out of 10, right? Mm-hmm. 10 years is mastery, eight years is close to mastery. And you're a one. Do you really think with your level of awareness and experience, you're actually going to be able to utilize these eights or are they just going to look at you and go, yeah, I'll sell you some products and things, but please don't waste my time. And this is what happens with most people. They're looking for a comp realtor or the right lawyer. And listen, the right lawyer doesn't need you. The right lawyer already has other customers and clients that have been with them forever that already have a great track record and are in the business for 10 years. You can't go from a one to an eight and expect to get any meaningful value. You got to find a two, three, four, five, six, but find investors, find people, business owners, I should say. Find business owners doing what you want to do, flipping houses, wholesaling, landlording, whatever strategy you want to do. That's the first place I'm getting around because those people will give you different clarity. Otherwise, you're going to go to a professional salesperson and you're just going to buy their assumptions. And I'll be honest with you, mortgage broker won't help you raise capital. 
they'll just sell you capital when it's convenient. A lawyer won't help you like fix legal legal issues. They'll just sell you solutions to legal issues. It's the same thing. They have their own companies, their own sales. And you need to know that, that nobody is looking to waste their time to just teach you the whole business. You need to learn. And the best way to learn is get around somebody who's doing it, not a lawyer, an actual small business owner in the field of real estate in the strategy you want to deploy. That's the first person I'm going to. And that, through that person, they're a mentor, you get a mentor, you join the community, all this other stuff. But that's where I would start. Go find somebody in your city that's doing it already. That's it. You know, buy them a coffee, be of value somehow. You know, just everybody wants to help and share in our community. That's why I'm suggesting go to mine. I don't know about other communities, but I'm just, the professionals are not here to help you make money. And we have to keep that in mind. They're designed to sell you stuff. That's what their business is revolving around. Thank you for speaking truths. <laughs> That's all and... I got. All I got is truth, bro. I have no, <laughs> I have no lies. I have no, no hidden agenda. I have nothing to sell you, your audience. I just want to help them gain clarity because I too, you know, was a 21, 22 year old, got screwed around, paid money, a bunch of things I didn't need, you know, got bad advice from people. And any free advice is relatively bad advice. I'm just saying, unless somebody has literally done what you want to do, they don't have the level of education, maturity, and experience to actually speak truth. They're speaking opinion. We don't want opinions. Opinions, opinions are free all over the internet every single damn day. You don't need any more opinions and advice from people who haven't done this shit. Go to somebody who's actually done it, who can speak with conviction, who understands the actual problems that are going to encounter. And just so you know, 80% of all your problems or a greater in business is going to be here. It's in your headspace. It's all the bullshit stories you tell yourself. It's the bad um, software that you downloaded into your head from all the different people you had in your life, your teachers and, you know, your friends and family and stuff like that. And you're just not hanging around with people that have done it. That's the simple point. So for me, it's proximity. Okay. Get proximity to somebody who's literally doing every single day what you want to do. And that is the fastest way to borrow confidence from them, to get clear answers from them. And if you pay mentors and you pay people, then they don't have a hidden agenda to just give you a bunch of shit. You're either going to pay for the education or you're going to pay in the lesson when somebody inevitably will sell you a garbage property because they mentored you for free. So we just, we young people and new business owners, I'm sorry, but you guys are naive as shit. You make <laughs> stupid decisions because you don't actually do your homework. You don't do due diligence. You get excited. You jump into stuff that's over your head. You go to a realtor. I had two people this week tell me that their realtor helped them make offers on the MLS, which is where we make offers. And they paid a hundred grand over asking price because they're living in fear and doubt and, and scarcity. And now we got two shitty deals that these people bought that they now can no longer sell because the appraisal, the value of the property is less than they paid for. And it's their own damn fault. And they said, I trusted my realtor. Your realtor gets paid on commission. And for every dollar of the transaction that's hired, they get a higher commission. Why would you trust somebody who makes money by selling you a more expensive property? This is what we don't understand is we all just blind trust or like it's a scam. No, no. Learn to verify. Learn to ask good questions. Learn. Like I like to, I call them allies. So you said, how do people start finding an ally? An ally is somebody who does what you want to do. You will be here in 10 years doing what you're doing. And you guys can leverage and help each other get where you need to get because there's no scarcity. You need allies. Okay. You don't need friends. You need allies. So one thing that speaks out to me right off the bat is you're very not a, about the individual, but it's you're, you're, you're about helping people. Like that's, that's one of the first things that I, I noticed right off the bat. And 
like, again, I want to thank you so much for sharing these, all this information. So, but I, I feel like it's, or for a lot of individuals, a lot of, you know, when we're born and stuff, like we're always about, you know, ourselves. What point in your life did your narrative expand to helping other individuals, like motivating and empowering them? Or was this always ingrained in you because of the amount of diversity that you've been through that you, you've realized like, hey, you know, I sh- it's, not, it's not always about me. It's about how can I serve or help other individuals? Yeah. Every person who lives from a place of abundance wants to help somebody else. It's as simple as that. Yep. I was growing in a, you know, a Christian household, went to church, we lived in abundance. We try to help people. As soon as it comes to money, we all have scarcity, all of us, myself included. So the first few years of me doing this, I'm living in scarcity. And although I was nice to people, I wasn't out there trying to help them grow their business and all this other stuff. Cause we all live in scarcity. We fear there's not enough deals, not enough resources, not enough money. You will never be you in the sense of the abundant version of you until you execute and achieve the things that you need to get done. I achieved mastery in real estate because I realized that that was the one thing that was going to get me out of working the rest of my life. I don't want to freaking work till I'm a hundred years old and people lose who they are. They become robotic and lose their identity to the idea of work because they never truly mastered money. They just become a slave to it. So I didn't become this way really. I had, let's say I had 10% of this in my body. Today, it's 90% in my body because I live in abundance. I make enough money where I can say whatever the shit I want. doesn't matter. I get on these shows, whether you have one follower, 100 followers, or a million followers, if I can impact a couple lives. That's it. I don't care if you're, if you're like, listen, I love your audience. I'm appreciative for who they are. I don't give a fuck if they buy my book or not. It doesn't matter to me. The 20 bucks won't make a difference in my life. But if somebody sees this message and goes, wow, man, this guy's kind of aggressive, but he speaks some real truth. I can really appreciate the truth this guy is dropping and nobody speaks at this level. That's why I do these shows to help somebody somewhere. And that's not for my glory. Don't make me a statue. I don't even need a thank you. I just need you to go and do it for somebody else. Because ultimately, when you live in abundance, you know that you plant seeds. And my job in this world is to plant seeds, seeds of hope, seeds of clarity, seeds of truth, seeds of encouragement to other people, because they're going to grow help others, help others, help others. And that to me is impact. So I do this stuff for impact. And it probably wasn't until I became a millionaire at 30 that I did it more aggressively. You know, up until I was a millionaire, I was, my mindset wasn't there. So, you know, that's, you know, seven, eight years ago now that, you know, I hit that number. And and then from there, just like, it took seven years to make a million bucks. And then I made the next million bucks in a year and a half. And then another, and then just on and on and on and on and way faster, way faster, because I realized that working with people, working in abundance is actually way more profitable. Working by yourself as the Lone Ranger doesn't work long-term, but here's the truth. It's a rite of passage. Everybody who starts wants to be the technician. They want the glory. They want the win. They want to be the quarterback. Eventually, your bones will hurt enough, or you'll find that it's better off to just own the entire team and be the coach than to try to be the quarterback. At some point in your life, if you want freedom, you have to stop being the quarterback. That's it. If not, then you're going to have ego, lots and lots of ego. You'll win. You'll make money. You'll just never have freedom because everything will revolve around you. So I build teams today. I support people. I have joint venture partners all over the country. And I'm so thrilled that, you know, I'm actually working maybe an hour a day, maybe two, you know, at at most. Uh, and, And And most of my time is my own time. I do music. I do stuff I'm passionate about. I build communities. I do stuff that's for impact first and then income second. But I didn't always think that way. So you have to make a choice to live in abundance, I believe. 
And you just got to go make a million bucks, man. It's as simple as that. If you only got 20 grand in the bank account and you've got pressure and you've got bills and you got a family and kids, it's really hard for you to live in abundance. If you if you hang out with me all day, you'll develop the abundance thinking because you've got proximity. If you don't have a mentor or somebody proximity to you, then you just got to go make a million bucks. It's as simple as that because you're not going to be charitable. You're not going to give money away. You're not going to start living in abundance until you actually have the abundance in your pocket. Most people are, are too emotionally immature to give before they have. That's it. If you, if you can and, you're, and you can develop that level of, of maturity, that's amazing. But most people won't ever do it. So you want to become a better human? Just go make a million bucks. I know it sounds cliche and whatever, but it's not. When you're not living in fear of paying the bills, the mortgage, the taxes, the insurance, and you don't give a shit what a stake costs, you get to live a little bit more free and a little bit more relaxed. And when you get to live more relaxed and more at peace and harmony with who you are, well, then you get to make better decisions. And that's my belief is that people are just, people aren't broken. They're just surviving. And when you're surviving, the symptom is scarcity, fear, doubt, constraint. That's what you have. You're living in survival mode. And that's why you feel like crap all the time. We just got to get you out of survival mode. And that's what I do with everybody I mentor. Survival, get them to zero and then get them to a million bucks. And then the whole game changes for them and their family. Wonderful. For yourself, you've developed one of the largest private mortgage companies in Southwest Ontario with a mission to serve young families and make home ownership possible. Does this mission have anything to do with your parents' story, especially on, on how they purchased their first or had their first home ownership situation in Canada? And if I recall, this was like a household 11, nine children, and Bill was making nine bucks an hour at the time. And there was like an immense struggle finding a lender. But then it's like that, that miracle. I won't, I do, I don't even want to call it a miracle story. Cause like there's that one person that wanted to take, that was willing to take a chance and look, look, look where we're at. Right. Yeah. You know, dad persevered and God is good. So dad persevered. He's making, you know, not a lot of money per hour. Somebody at the bank said no. And then somebody else said, let me see if my manager would do it. And they just pleaded to them, hey, I got nine kids. I'll pay the bills. This is what it is. And they took pity on him and they, they pushed it through and they got him a mortgage. I'm very like, I, I very much care about housing. I very much care about immigrants having housing. I care about family. So I've been in the single family space a long time because it's more connected to who I am. I, it's really fundamental to me that people have housing, that people have a roof over their head. So yeah, it, one of the drivers that impacted my decision to create the mortgage company was uh, to, to really help people that were discarded, people that went to the bank and they said no. And I, I have this thing against, you know, oppression, this thing against bureaucracy. If the bank tells me no, which they told me no at 21, and they told you no, well, fuck the bank. I'm going to go build something. I'm going to go raise capital. I'm going to go make something significant available so you can become a homeowner. And what's really, really fulfilling for me is that collectively, the people that we've helped acquire a home, many of them in the Windsor-Essex region, they now have over $27 million of collective equity over the past four years. Wow. That's legacy money, man. That's moms, single moms. That's young families. That's people with bad credit. That's people who you know, didn't have perfect uh, history that divorced bankruptcy. Life just happened to them and they got thrown away from the bank's doorsteps like they, were, they weren't valuable. And I said, nah, fuck that, man. I'm going to advocate for these people. I'm going to raise capital. And that's what I did. I spent three and a half years building an advocacy group and we, we, we purchased real estate. We raised capital. We, we did our own approval system and we put over a hundred families into homes 
And I'm really, really thankful to all those folks and families. And they got massive rewards, both financially and in confidence. Somebody cared about them and they kept their mortgages up. They paid the bills. They kept that property. And what's amazing is my default rate is less than CIBC's. Oh, shit. Yeah. We've only ever had one default out of over 100 families. That's it. Like, it's amazing to me that all these people were discarded as, you know, subprime borrowers, uncredit worthy, and I have one default in over 100. So, you know, it's just, it's interesting to me that sometimes you bet on the underdog and I like betting on the underdog. I don't buy real estate just to make money. You know, I did when I started, but today real estate's been a really cool vehicle to help a lot of people, give them shelter, help a lot of Canadians become business owners help a lot of people create very quick wealth. And I don't waste time. I'm 37. I travel. I live my life. We do retreats. I'm writing an album, a music album right now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we're doing. Most of it is passion-based. And real estate's just been a very, very cool vehicle that has allowed us to generate a lot of money to, to do a lot of stuff for myself, for my wife. You know, my wife is now retired. My mom is retired. We invest all of the family's money. Like, it's just, it's been very, very... Um, eye-opening. And I just, I'm thankful. I believe it's stewardship. It's a privilege and a responsibility to have success. And when you have success, I, I believe you're going to realize that, you know, sharing the success with other people, helping other people develop their own success is actually much more fulfilling than you just making an extra few million dollars. So that's the thing with mom and dad is it was really valuable, really valuable to them, to me. So I definitely have a connection with people looking to get a home that can't. Oh, I really respect that, man. <laughs> I really do. Is there one book or resource you would recommend to our listeners that was most specifically impactful to you and to, you know, leading you to the path of you becoming who you are today? My growth is a series of defining moments, you know, and I think all of ours, we encounter challenges. We find a mentor, a book, guidance, clarity, and through those, you go on another level. So there's probably 10, 15, 20 different defining moments you'd have to go through to get to me. There is no one book that will make you rich, successful, otherwise. Mm -hmm. What you can do is to stop consuming garbage and start creating something. So Ooh. don't consume, don't consume TV and YouTube that's useless. Make a decision. If it's going to be real estate, there's a whole host of real estate podcasts and books and things that you can get into. Join a community, man. One of the greatest things for me was joining a mastermind. It was tough at first to commit and join a group with other people because my ego and because of the money that it took. Join a community. Join where people are winning, where they're positive people. And any community that's positive and people are actually doing deals is a fantastic place to start, like Cashflow Tribe. There's 110 books out there that you can get. If you're stuck with workaholic syndrome, you can read The 4-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. If you're stuck trying to understand the basics of real estate, you can read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. He also has the book called OPM for anybody wanting to understand how to leverage capital better. Uh, and there's a host of different books on business. The Blue Ocean Strategy is a fantastic book. One of my favorite actual business building books is going to be uh, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber. Like I've got hundreds of recommendations, but just, just start with if it's real estate, join a real estate community. There's less and less crypto communities, but find one where you can connect with even a free Facebook group. I would start there and then I would literally ask for help. That's my biggest advantage and thing I would tell your audience as we, as we wrap up, ask for help. Just be a nice person, ask for help. 
There's lots of people that be, are willing to help you. And if you, and if you encounter people that are dicks and don't want to help you, it's just the wrong community. It's not the wrong business. It's not the wrong industry. Find people that are willing to help you. That mortgage broker helped me buy my first house. And technically, you know, I bought hundreds of houses because of that first exchange. So, you know, just find one person. That's all it takes. You're literally one conversation away from your future self. Awesome. And you know what? I'm going to cut it short and I'm going to ask you about one last question then. Ben, where can we find more about you? Where can we, where can our listeners and our audience find more about you on social media and the, your details, your work online and even your music? Yeah, just go to the website, humble.ceo. Humble.ceo is the site. You can find everything directly from there. Awesome. And for our listeners, I'll be listening to that in the episode description below again. And, and uh, yeah, be sure to check all of Ben's tags and links. And Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Really appreciate it. I love the truth. And I love the pure, like, I think bluntness is, is what we need. Because, like, you know, I don't like beating around the bush. I don't like the whole sugar coating. And I just thank you for just being genuine. And Ben, I had an, I had an awesome time. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Aaron. God bless you, man. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube at First Generations Podcast. For any questions, comments, and inquiries, please reach out to Aaron at firstgenerationspodcast.com. That is A-A-R-O-N at firstgenerationspodcast.com. Stay tuned for the next episode.